Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. And Kyle, a lot of action in the NBA this weekend, but nothing more exciting than Ja Morant's dunk heard around the world. I know Jalen Smith's your guy. I hate it had to be him. But what can you say about Ja Morant and that dunk that he just kind of kind of shut the internet down honestly everybody involved in that is lucky that the nfl wildcard playoffs are going on because that highlight did not get nearly as much attention as it probably deserved i love that you knew exactly where i was going to start with this which is i hate it had to be my guy jalen smith you know uh, a former terp he's just out there grinding trying to come up with a stop but why are you even jumping with john moran is my question there i mean that looked like for those that play 2k that looked like one of those (laughs) plays where you kind of just hold right trigger and tap x and all of a sudden the game just like glitches and john moran just like jumps to another stratosphere and cocks it all the way back and i I hate it had to be my guy jalen smith but man that's one of the best in-game dunks i have seen in my entire lifetime Uh, i've never seen anybody cock the ball that far back in something that wasn't a dunk contest yeah. I mean, it was almost just ignorant that John Morant even tried it. And how many times have we seen John Morant try a dunk like that? You know, Kevin Love almost got one real bad a few years back. It feels like he somehow always kind of just throws it off the back rim and just barely misses, like, the highlight of all highlights. But poor Jalen Smith actually caught the highlight of all highlights. John Morant, man, one of the most electrifying players in the NBA. If he's playing, you don't want to look away. You don't even want to look down at your phone while the game's going on because you never know what's going to happen next. You, that, that's how I know we're locked in. In addition to me knowing that you're going to start with Jalen Smith, you said a lot of the things that I was going to say in response to that. <laughs> it's definitely something that happens when you're playing 2K and you're yelling at the screen saying, that's not realistic. He's not dunking over somebody that's <laughs> six foot 10 like that. Also, it's like a, a product. It was bound to happen eventually. There was like the game, even on, even on Christmas Day when they were in Golden State, he tried it on a fast break and barely got it. And we keep saying, man, he's going to get one of these eventually. And it's going to be crazy because none of us are going to remember all those misses, even though we're talking about it right now. We never held it against him. But this one is worth all those attempts. And it's funny because he said on Twitter, jump with me if you want to go viral. And people, yep. again, aren't going to remember the, pe- the the missed dunk attempts. It's definitely just the the dunk that he that he finished. Um, John Morant has quickly risen up the, the list of best in-game dunkers in the league right now, but also of all time. I think for him to be six foot two, you know, I said this before, like we see him catch lobs in a dunk with the offhand. There's the dunk he had on Jakob Pertl last year. He dunked on Jakob Pertl again this year. Again, <laughs> Jakob Pertl is not a small dude. So John Moran and his athleticism as a six foot two guy, like you said, makes him one of the best shows in the NBA. I got a chance to catch him play in Charlotte. He had like a, 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 a and one alley-oop from like, it wasn't even an alley-oop dunk. It was like an alley-oop layup. So I, I say that to say, and I pose the question to you, we talked about him and his status as an in-game dunker, but the electrifying players in the league, we talked about the talent in the league, and there's a lot of that, and a lot of this goes hand-in-hand, hand, but there are some showmen in the NBA right now. If you had to pick the two best shows in the NBA, guys who you're going to get your money's worth when you go get a ticket to go line up at the box office and go watch these guys play, who are those guys for you? Well, he's not exactly the leaper that John Moran is, but last week I actually had the opportunity to watch Luka Doncic play in person. Mm. I was only two rows up for the court, uh, from the court, and I watched him in that double overtime battle against LeBron James. Uh, that was my first time ever seeing Luka in person, not mm. at an all-star game. We had seen him twice in the all-star game right. before, but I'd never seen him play in a real game. And man, did he, I mean, he lived up to all expectations. But the thing <laughs> that blew my mind the most watching him play 
is how everything almost stops when he has the right. ball in his hands. And I, I say that sort of in a bad way, but also not in a bad way because it is kind of like that James Harden effect of his teammates are kind of standing around watching and waiting to see what he does next. But the same goes for the defense. And it feels like everything is so slow. Like you can kind of feel the energy slow down when Luka Doncic mm-hmm. has the ball in his hands. And, you know, he hit two incredibly clutch shots at the top of the key. I had, you know, maybe one of the best seats in the house to watch both of those plays develop because I was right, uh, you know, on the baseline on that side of the basket. And Luka Doncic, you know, sizing up his defender, knew exactly where he wanted to get to. He knew what move he wanted to use. And it didn't matter that the defender probably also knew where he wanted to get to and what move he wanted to use. Because at the moment that Luka rose up, and that ball left his fingers, you could see right away they were both going down. I mean, talk about a guy that is just insanely clutch. You know, there's no moment that's too big for him. Mm. Nothing really speeds him up. You know, he's always going at his own pace. So it was really incredible to watch Luka Doncic. You know, I mean, he had a triple 35-point triple-double performance. And uh, I would say, you know, I got my money's worth for that ticket. 35-point triple-double head-to-head with LeBron James. And I think the big thing to talk about a guy like Luka Doncic, who's been playing at a professional stage for you know several years now, and he's built for the professional stage. I think that the showmanship that comes with that, right? Like, you know that it's time to put on a performance. You know that people are coming to see you with the step back. You see Luka, you know, he's not the most athletic guy, but when he dunks on somebody, acts like he's surprised too. There's so many things that, that Luka Doncic does. And for those reasons, you know, I am – eager for an opportunity to see him play for the Mavericks. Like you said, we've seen him in all-star games. We've seen him in you know, skills challenges, rookie challenges, or what have you. But it's just different when he's playing and he's the, the center of that offense and he's the guy who's the ball's in his hands in, in those moments. I think that's a huge thing. Uh, LeBron James is the guy who I mentioned and had written down as a great show. But I'm not going to go with LeBron James. I'm, I'm going to spread it out a little bit. Um, I, I was going to say I'll go with the young guy, but he's not really that much younger. I'm going to go with Stephen Curry, though. Like You talk about Steph Curry and, and having opportunity to see him play and see what he does. you got a chance to see him play in the NBA finals, you know, on, on the biggest stage in person. But the the command, I think talking about, you know, a showman and, and Steph's, you know, whether it's the night night celebration or, or, or shooting a jumper and not even watching it go in. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter that's ever touched a basketball. He knows it. And it's not even necessarily like a cockiness thing more than a confidence that you're going to get a show. When Steph Curry suits up and you saw it when, you know, the, the, Warriors and Spurs broke an attendance record with 68,000 fans. Half of them probably couldn't even see the court, but you could just hear the energy in the Alamo Dome when Steph Curry had the ball in his hands and when he let a, let a three go. To see what he's what he does, the spurt ability, things like that, Steph Curry is a one-of-one one in that respect, and I think that makes him one of the greatest shows the game has ever seen because it's, it's, it's an all-time effect. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Curry is someone that, again, you can't look away when he's playing because you never know what he's going to do next. Those shots where he's just turning around when the ball is halfway through the air, I mean, that's a different level of feel for the game. And you really do have to be, you know, the greatest shooter of all time to know that those shots are going down, especially some of the ones that he he does that and they're contested. It's mind-blowing that he still knows those are going in. But, hey, I mean, that's what we've learned to expect from Stephen Curry. I'm actually going to go to, you know, a different long-range shooter. Uh, I think this is a player who – you know, would probably get more respect as one of the greatest shooters of all time if Stephen Curry didn't exist. And that's game time. It's Damian okay. Lillard. Yeah. He's someone that every single time that it's the fourth quarter, if there's, you know, any sort of a close game going on, you're going to want to tune in because Dame is going to find a way to will his team back. And if he has the ball in his hands with the game on the line, we're, 
it's almost like we've gotten to the point where it's more surprising when he misses those big shots mm -hmm. than it is when he makes them. He is so insanely clutch. He's been so insanely clutch his entire career. He's not afraid to take and make the big shots. You know, this is a guy that it doesn't matter if he's contested. It doesn't matter how far away he is from the basket. He's going to let it fly. And he has full confidence in believing in himself that he's going to knock down that shot. His teammates feel the same way. I mean, we've seen him hit, what, I think two series clinching buzzer beaters, one against the Rockets, that legendary one against OKC a few years back. It just feels like every time Dame has the ball late in the fourth quarter, his team has a chance because he's just that clutch. Yeah, Dame Dame time is is, is ridiculous. I, know, I remember you and I, we weren't at the Moda Center when it happened, but you and I were at the office together watching Dame's uh, step back three-pointer to, to pretty much end the OKC Thunder as we know it. And it's crazy because that shot was so ridiculous that we forgot that that shot also gave him 50 for the game. So here's a guy who hit like a 37 foot step back game winner where you and I are like, what's he doing? Why is he, why is he wasting time? I like, go get a shot. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was going to do. And like, it's kind of funny to go back and look at that play. And for those of you out there, please go back and watch the highlight. You'll see Seth Curry at the top of the screen. Look at the Thunder's bench saying, you guys are about to go home. <laughs> then Dame is a shot. He looks at them, says one more parting message, which I'm sure I couldn't repeat on here anyway. And then he goes and runs <laughs> to celebrate with Dame and the rest of the team. I think Dame is, is an ultimate showman. He's a guy who, again, like he understands that he's on the stage. He's not afraid of the moment. I think those are the big things that uh, really contribute into these guys being some of the greatest shows in the league. I guess I, I said I was going to go with with younger guys, but I ended up going with both veterans who've been in the league for 10-plus years because KD is a guy who I think every time I watch him play, I always leave um, – just, just impressed and 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 in awe of what it is that he does. You know, we talk about his size as, as a seven footer um, who plays like a two guard. Um, I remember when he and the Warriors came to Charlotte. I think it was uh, the last year of that team. It was the 2018-19 season. Um, again, the energy in the building. Obviously, it was him and Steph. But seeing him just get to his spots and do things that no player his size has ever been capable of doing. And maybe Victor Wimbanyama is the next guy that size who's taller can can potentially do. But just him, again, being a one-of-one one and that guy and, and really the craft with which he he scores the basketball. And even now, got a chance to see the, the Nets when they came to Charlotte earlier this season. He's so good that we forgot that, that you know, three and a half years ago, he tore his Achilles, which, you know, we were wondering if he's going to be able to come back, you know, and, and average 20 points a game. And now he's averaging 30 points a game again and doing it, you know, very efficiently. People are saying this may be even the best version of Kevin Durant that we've ever seen. So just thinking about what Kevin Durant uh, does and and hopefully he can get back on the floor uh, as soon as possible because he's uh, out, out right now with the sprain MC option. He'll be reevaluated in about 10 days from now. The, the, the Nets have struggled a little bit in his absence, but uh, I think they're thinking the big picture, and I think that as long as they can stay around that top four range in the Eastern Conference, they'll be just fine when he's back in, in, on the court. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin Durant, master of his craft. He's one of my favorite players of all time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you and I are, what, 28 and 29. So we were both yep. pretty young. We didn't really live through the Jordan era. We caught the very back end of his career. Obviously, Steph Curry is an incredible scorer. LeBron James is about to break the scoring record. But, you know, we, we saw James Harden during the peak of, you know, his scoring just barrage that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I can confidently say that Kevin Durant's the best scorer I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, just the way that he scores the basketball, the ease that he scores the basketball, like you said, getting to his spots, rising up over the top of any defender. Doesn't matter, matter how good the defense is. You know, he's going to find a way to knock down those mid-range shots. Uh, and even coming off his Achilles injury, it's insane to think that, you know, he is 
maybe even better post Achilles injury than he was pre Achilles injury. Uh, you know, that's just, you're talking about rare air when, you know, you're talking about a player who's able to do something like that. Kevin Durant really is a special talent. Again, the best score I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that just again speaks to to what we talked about with the guys we spoke spoke of, and I, and I could have easily thrown LeBron James in there. I wrote about it on the Sporting News, just about how the LeBron James experience is is just more than what he does on the court for forty eight minutes. It's, it's from the moment he steps on the floor to warm up. Everybody is really just enthralled by every single thing that he does when he's on the floor. And, and I think that it's interesting to kind of see, you know, whether it's John Morant or Jason Tatum, and, and I'm sure you could speak to it with Luka Doncic, these guys kind of realizing the space that they're in as stars slash burgeoning superstars slash freshly minted superstars. And, and just like kind of seeing like something as simple as watching John Morant run off the floor to just fans just screaming. I think it's, it's interesting, especially for guys like that, who, you know, when John Morant kind of went into superstardom, the league was shut down. There weren't, large fan they were playing in the bubble and then they were there were limited crowds so I think it's still kind of new for him it's new for some of these guys who came in the league within the last two or three years they aren't necessarily used to that so to see those guys kind of learn how to become more showmen uh Jason Tatum just coming off of a 51 point performance and when he hit that three to go for 50 you kind of see him stop and stare a little bit and revel in the moment and you can hear a crowd on the road giving him MVP chance and going crazy because he delivered you know what they wanted so it's just interesting with all these guys and all these showmen they're definitely going to be on display in Salt Lake City at All-Star Weekend this year and it's funny because you talk about Luca, Steph, Ja one of them is not going to start in the All-Star game this year. Um, sleeved Steph is back. He just had 41 points in Washington. So uh, I guess it's safe to say we're going to have a big-time show at All-Star Weekend next month. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple position battles that – I mean, fan vote only counts for 50%. The players mm-hmm. and coaches are – I'm sorry, media and coaches are going to have the other vote for who starts. But I don't know who's going to make those decisions because, you know, you already mentioned – uh, whether it's Luca, whether it's Steph, whether it's Ja, I mean, Shea Gildas Alexander absolutely should be in that mix. Uh, that's a really, really tough decision. Then you move it over to the East front court where you have Giannis and Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid. And that's another situation where how is there even one man that, you know, one of those four players isn't a starter in the all-star game when almost all of them are in the MVP conversation. So, you know, all-star voting is, it's going to be uh, a heavy talking point. I feel like this year, because there are a lot of players and teams that, you know, there are decisions to be made. I think about the New York Knicks and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. I think about the Sacramento Kings and DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. You know, a lot of these teams are only going to get one all-star, but they have two guys playing all-star caliber basketball. So, you know, I don't envy those decision makers. Yeah, there it is. All-star voting is, is wrapping up pretty soon. We'll learn these starters sooner, soon enough. Um, an all-star game is Sunday, February 19th in Salt Lake City, and we'll have plenty on that leading up to it. Should be a good one this year. But before the all-star game, there's a huge, huge date on the calendar, and that's February 9th. The NBA trade deadline is fast approaching and there are a lot of rumors um, I know we've talked a lot about the Toronto Raptors kind of being in the center of it all because they're in an interesting spot between you know, do we buy do we sell can we make a run at the end of the year do we need to focus on the future what is that but the same could be said for a lot of teams in the NBA there are some teams who um, got off the slow starts and then it, they never really turned it around but they're kind of still in the mix obviously everybody has their eyes on what the Lakers have going on but with so many teams I think this is going to be a very interesting deadline because I think we could very well be surprised by what might happen. So when you look at what's going on ahead of the deadline, I think we're about three weeks out from it. 
what is the team that you have your eye on or which team do you have your eye on uh, that could make a, a big move or make the most moves or make a huge splash at the deadline? Aside from the Raptors, who we already talked plenty about, because I think that's, again, the team that everyone's going to have all their eyes on. Uh, the team that interests me is definitely the Dallas Mavericks, because mm-hmm. we're seeing what Luka's doing right now. Christian Wood is really starting to figure it out, and he's playing really well on the defensive end. He's putting up big numbers. But aside from that, there hasn't been a ton of help on that team. You know, Reggie Bullock has been on and off. Tim Hardaway Jr. has been on and off. Dorian Finney-Smith, same thing. You know, they're not getting a lot of consistent play out of those guys. And, you know, Mark Cuban's not the type of guy that's just going to stand pat, especially when he realizes the type of generational talent and the type of season he's getting from Luka Doncic. You know, he's been through it with Dirk Nowitzki. He knows what it takes to go out and put the right pieces around a franchise caliber player like that. So to me, even though the Mavericks, they do feel like they're kind of a buzzy team name going into the trade deadline. I actually think that they should have even more buzz than they've already you know received because they're the team that to me could make, you know, one massive move that swings the entire Western Conference. You talk about the Mavericks and thinking about like swinging the Western Conference, like it, it has deeper implications than that too, right? Like the Mavericks make the right move that, that allows them to maybe finish the season winning 20 of their last 30 or, or 18 of their last 28, whatever the case may be. That impacts the MVP race too, right? Because Luca's kind of right at the top of it right now and, and it kind of feels like it's Jokic's uh, award to lose, which is wild to think that we could see the first three-time back-to-back-to-back MVP since Larry Bird uh, did it a while back. But, you know, if the Mavericks are to make uh, the right splash to put themselves back in, in the playoff contention and maybe back on the path to getting back to the conference finals like they did last season, then I definitely think that that's a big thing. I, I guess I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, um, but if you are uh, Nico Harrison, the the, the Mavs GM, and, and this could be anybody. I want to, this has to be somebody whose name is on the block right now, um, but I guess maybe it's the type of player and maybe it's a player that potentially fits that bill uh, for the Mavericks to kind of make a difference and maybe allow them to be a better team uh, given the guys who maybe are on the block or guys who could be available. Yeah, there are two players actually that come to mind. Uh, One is John Collins, who I think Mm -hmm. he's a name that has been very available. I don't know if he's been tied to the Mavericks. Maybe there was some reporting uh, a few weeks back about the Mavs having some interest in him, but, you know, just his ability to knock out or step outside and knock down threes, but also, you know, play physical in the paint. I think he fits nicely next to Christian Wood. I think he's someone that would play really well next to Luka Doncic and he'd be featured in that offense more so than he is, you know, in Atlanta because there's so many mouths to feed there. He's mm-hmm. someone that interests me. And then, you know, we've been talking about the Raptors, but Gary Trent Jr. really is an interesting uh, prospect for the Mavericks just because, you know, he's someone that can defend a little bit better than I feel like Tim Hardaway and Reggie Bullock can. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much they would have to give up to get him. I don't know if they have the pieces in return that the Raptors would be looking for for Gary Trent, but Gary Trent Jr. and uh, John Collins are two players who, you know, if the Mavericks could go and get one of them or even both of them, that makes them, you know, infinitely more scary than they are right now with just Luca and Christian Wood. I'd be very interested, you know, with the Mavs because last year, I think maybe they surprised a lot of people parting ways with Porzingis at the deadline and end up bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie. And, and it was a, it was a money uh, related move as well, but the fit, I think they had kind of, um, you know, exhausted everything that they saw. They got the most out of that duo between uh, Porzingis and Doncic. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, who they're willing to part ways with. I'll be interested to see if they're unable to reach a resolution with Christian Wood and he ends up being the guy that's on the way out because he could get you value in return. I saw somebody on Twitter, a Twitter user just kind of mentioned that Terry Rozier could be a guy uh, who's available and and could be a guy who could fit and, and provide more creations. He had some up and down ups and downs this season, but so has Charlotte. And I'm not going to mention them as a team 
to keep an eye on, but they are a team out there because they will be probably big sellers at the deadline. You'll be hearing names like Terry Rozier, Jalen McDaniels, and uh, maybe even Mason Plumley, who's a guy who uh, could be valuable for a team in need of a backup big. Now, that being said, I'll tell you the team that the Mavs eliminated last year. The Phoenix Suns are a team who I definitely have my eye on. We talked a little bit about their interest in Fred Van Vliet, which not necessarily surprising. It makes sense, especially given the stage in which Chris Paul is in his career. Um, they still need to resolve the Jay Crowder situation. They've been linked to the Hornets, Jalen McDaniels. Um, there are a lot of guys that they could potentially uh, go out there and try to get. I- I'm interested to see what the Suns are going to do. Can they? Just, are they just going to punt on this season? They've, they've struggled mightily since Devin Booker went down. I believe it's a three and 13 record since his injury they've fallen out of the playing tournament picture so the the Suns definitely have the talent obviously injury is what's impacting them and there was a little bit of unrest uh, definitely uh within the team I think there was you know it's it said a lot when DeAndre Aiden signed that offer sheet with the 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 Pacers this offseason and, and the the rocky relationship that's reported between he and Monty Williams I think there's a lot going on in Phoenix I, I worry though um if maybe their, their windows close. Uh, do you think that it's that dire of a situation? Do you think it's more so just a product of the injury? And do you think they're going to make a move? It's kind of a tough question to answer because they were playing well before Devin Booker right. got hurt. And I think right. that kind of speaks to, you know, Devin Booker maybe should have been getting more MVP consideration at the beginning of the season with the way that he was playing because, you know, this team was kind of hanging on by a string and he was the thread that was holding them together. Um, but, you know, I didn't even realize 3-13 and 13 was the stretch that they were on since his injury. I knew they've been bad. Uh, some of the losses have been extremely ugly, um, but they do have trade pieces. You know, someone like Jay Crowder, who they haven't been able to resolve that situation. And that's really, really tough because they went from, you know, telling him that he was going to come off the bench, which is what kind of put them in this situation in the first place to elevate Cam Johnson, who was a six man of the year candidate last year. And then he's going, you know, he's dealing with a meniscus injury for the majority of the season. And, you know, he's someone that I think they could potentially move if they believe they need to win right now and they need to make an urgent move because they don't want to be patient and wait for him to get back and get healthy. So they do have pieces in place that they could move to get some talent. It's just that, you know, how are they going to find the right guy that can kind of elevate that team back to championship contender status? Because as of right now and as of late, they do not look like a championship contender. Obviously, that's going to be the case without Devin Booker on the floor with Chris Paul, you know taking a step back the way that he has. Like you said, DeAndre Ayton has been very up and down. It has not been the season that they would have liked from him coming off of a big deal. So, you know, there's a lot of turmoil in Phoenix. I think they are a really interesting team to watch at the deadline because as of right now, you know, as an outsider looking in, we don't really have a ton of ideas on what the direction of that franchise is, but how they, you know, the types of moves that they make at the deadline will tell everybody exactly what direction they think they're headed in. Right. And I think that's, you know, to, to kind of reiterate, I think that the, the Van Vliet interest kind of, and, and again, I don't know how much we stock we could put into the reported interest in Fred Van Vliet that they have, but it does kind of speak to the state of things in Phoenix. I, I don't necessarily know that he's, again, the, the first thing that fixes their season is Devin Booker getting healthy. And, you know, he gets healthy. They can easily win 13 out of 16 or 13 out of 15, whatever the case is, they can have the inverse of their current stretch and be right back at the top of the Western Conference, especially considering how the Western Conference is right now. There are teams that are, you know, a couple games under 500 that are just a few games out of that top six. That being said, I do think that they are kind of, you know, looking into, um, you know, contingency plan, you know, for Chris Paul, the end of his career, because 
he's closer to the end of it than he is to the beginning. And he's dealt with his injuries, his fair share of injuries this year. And I don't know if they, you know, if they were to make a move for a guy like Fred Van Vliet or another point guard that is made available or a Jalen McDaniels type to find a resolution for that Jay Crowder situation, like what that does for them. Because, you know, it's just funny because it wasn't that long ago last year. They just seemed like they were head and shoulders above the rest of the NBA and now it just shows that one injury they're 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 heavily built on their stars and, and I think there's been a sense of a little bit of disappointment like you said with what DeAndre Ayton has or hasn't done this season so they're a team to, to keep an eye on now, there's some other teams and I won't have to go too deep in there but I think there are a couple other teams that maybe are one move away from maybe um strengthening their opportunity or their ability to win the title. I look at, you know, Denver, uh, Brooklyn, once they get back healthy, I think uh, Memphis is a team. You talk about Danny Green being an expiring contract and them having a lot of young assets and draft picks they can move uh, moving forward. Um, Do you think that there is one team specifically that maybe just is one move away that kind of set themselves or take themselves to a higher tier, uh, go from a, a playoff contender to a solid playoff team, go from a contender to a title favorite? Or, or do you think that those teams might stand pat? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, kind of like we talked about the Mavericks to me feel like one of those teams. The Suns absolutely are one of those teams that, you know, once everybody gets healthy, if they make the right move at the deadline, they'll be right back in a championship contention. Um, you know, when I look at the Eastern Conference, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the Knicks are all of a sudden going to become a title contender. And I know, you know, there was that little back and forth on uh, inside the NBA last night where, you know, Sha- or, sorry, Kenny said that the Knicks are one move away and, and Chuck started naming, you know, all the Hall of Famers, whether it was <laughs> Wilt or Kareem. He was like, yeah, they're only a LeBron or Wilt or Kareem away. Uh, but, you know, that's another team that they're playing pretty solid basketball right now. And if they were to make the right move, that could go from a team that, you know, is just a, another playoff team to a team that could actually maybe make a little bit of a run. Um, but I'm going to throw in another team. And this is not a team that I think is one move away, but a team that I'm particularly interested in at the deadline. And that's Utah Jazz, just because mm-hmm. they've been extremely uh, impressive in surprising the season. No one really, expe- I mean, they had, I think, the lowest uh, win total over under in the entire NBA tied with the uh, Spurs and the Pacers going into the season. You know, they're sitting one game under 500. They're probably more of a Wembenyama, tank for Wembenyama type team. Um, but, you know, they've had Laurie Markin play at an all-star caliber level, and they've had other guys step up. But they do have trade pieces and guys like Malik Beasley, guys like Kelly Olenek, who have seen their names pop up in trade rumors. And I'm curious to see if, you know, they try and make the most out of this season and get into that playing tournament range, or do they just sell knowing that this is really a team that's a couple of years away from competing. So that's another team in that, you know, kind of on the fence range that I'm curious to see what they end up doing. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. I look at the, at the standings right now. Again, you mentioned uh, at the time of recording 23 and 24, a game out of six, but also just a game and a half uh, ahead of 13th. So you find yourselves kind of right in the middle of the road. And I do think that they're more future facing, but they do have plenty of draft assets from other teams that they might say, you know what, we can, we can, we're fine having the 15th pick or 14th pick and we could package the other picks that we have with it to move up in the lottery. If that's what they want to do, or they could again, just tank for that number one pick. Cause we know how well French centers do in <laughs> Utah. One more, one more team out there, out there. The LA Clippers. It feels like the majority of the teams we're talking about is in the Western Conference, but I did see that they're open to moving John Wall. They're twenty three and twenty two. They've dealt with a lack of continuity this year. If they can get healthy, you know, for the final stretch of the season, maybe they'll be a team who tries to add a piece and maybe shorten up some of the depth they have. You know, 
according to Norman Powell, 10 starting caliber players. So maybe if they consolidate that a little bit, that will allow them to move up and, you know, make good on the title aspiration that they have. Because when you have Kawhi Leonard, if he's healthy, you always have a chance. Plenty to keep an eye on ahead of this year's trade deadline. We'll have plenty more ahead of that. And All-Star Weekend, we're going to learn the starters soon, as I mentioned before. So we'll have plenty of reactions about that. And then we will focus forward on a lot of the all-star reserves this year because there will be some first-timers and like Kyle mentioned, some tough decisions to make, whether it's with the Knicks or the Kings this year. So again, plenty to keep an eye on. And we'll have it all here on NBA Sound System. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll get them right into your feet and you'll be up to date with the latest ahead of all-star and the trade deadline. Thanks for tuning in as always for Kyle Irving. I am Gil McGregor. We will catch you back here next week on NBA Sound System.